0: to take another 15% off of this course, and uh, we can't wait to see you there. Agile for Humans, episode five. Processes and tools dominate today's Agile discussions, but we are devoted to the individuals and interactions that make it work. From the beginner to the veteran practitioner, we have something for you. Welcome to Agile for Humans. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. Joining me this week, an international panel of Agilis spanning time zones, countries, and continents. Neil Killick is up late at night joining us from Australia. Hello, Neil. Hello. How are you doing? Meanwhile, J.B. Rainsberger is starting his morning in Canada. Hey, J.B. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you, sir? So far, so good. And finally, Mr. George Dinwiddie's joining us again. He's rounding out the American contingent with me. How are you doing, George? I'm doing great. So today, guys, the topic is no estimates. And with this type of topic, one that can be uh, not necessarily controversial, but certainly interesting, I'd like to start with a definition of terms to make sure that we're talking uh, all on the same page, that we know at least the lay of the land and some of the boundaries, just to help the discussion stay on, I think, an even playing field. And Neil, being the, the no estimates advocate, that you are and certainly a prolific author on this topic. Would you start us off with your view of no estimates and perhaps the way that you define it just to get us started?
1: I guess it was a conversation that started with that with a, with that hashtag on Twitter. It would be over three years ago now, actually. Yeah, back in 2012. And I believe it was started by Woody zule, uh, although we're not quite sure, but um, we think that Woody was the first person to post on that hashtag. I guess... It, <laughs> I think it's become in terms of definition I mean I don't really think of it as something that has a definition as such like for me it's all, always just been a you know a, a sort of um a convenient vehicle for a, co- a conversation about the topic of, of estimation in software and 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 I guess you know particularly from the angle of exploring uh, situations where you know we we might actually sort of not have to use estimation or whether whether it's actually the prevailing use of them are so damaging in our industry that actually perhaps there's a, you know, it, it's worth it's worth discussing the sort of the other extreme of sort of not not estimating as a, as a starting point to flesh out, you know, more meaningful conversations about when it is appropriate to estimate and how we should actually estimate software projects. So yeah, like I say, I don't really sort of see it as no estimates is one thing or. Or a or a, me, or a method or anything like that. It, it, it's just kind of become lots of things to lots of different people, and, and 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 that's that's really good from my point of view.
0: So JB and George, is that a fair starting point that uh, we can all jump into?
2: Well, I'd say, well, let, let's go with that. Uh, it. I don't really have a definition for no estimates. To be honest, I think it's a rather unfortunate name, and I think the name leads to more heat than light. So. Let's, let's go on and, and talk about what we mean. And I think we'll generate a lot more light than heat.
3: When no estimates first got its name on Twitter, I know that what I was talking about at the time was specifically the problems that I saw with teams trying to estimate small bits of work. And so I had, for me, I, I kind of do have a single working definition of no estimates, not that that's the definition of what no estimates is. I mean, Part of the problem is that as soon as you give it a name, then it's not just the concept, but it's people's perception of the concept and then the actions they take after, based on their perceptions, that all becomes part of the thing. But, I mean, when I started first saying, when I jumped on no estimates as a hashtag on Twitter, I was talking specifically about, you know, maybe don't bother estimating individual pieces of work that are less than about three months in size, that when you start, when you start. Figuring out the details of how we're going to deliver features and you know, small increments of a product. once we start talking about stuff that takes less than about three months to do, I feel, I feel like as the, as the size of the piece of work goes down, so does the value in trying to figure out how long it's going to take to do. And, and so yes, you know we, we probably do need to have a rough idea how much we think, how many millions or how many hundreds of thousands of dollars we think we're going to spend on a project, or release is going to have this much stuff in it, or I think that the stuff that we want to do in this three-month release is going to take four and a half months as opposed to four months one week as opposed to five months one week. That's when I say chuck the estimates, just rank everything by how important it is and just do as much of it as you possibly can, as well as you can, as quickly as you can. And I'm with George that I think that on the one hand, no estimates is an unfortunate name because it has the word no right next to the word estimate. And I think a lot of people rightly so rightly um, criticize us for it. But what people I think don't remember is that the few months before Woody posted something that said no estimates on Twitter, we were talking about this stuff in great detail and trying to get people involved in the conversation. And, you know, like what happens when you throw a parade and nobody shows up? That's kind of what it was for us. (laughs) And at that time we thought well let's just throw a little controversy out there and see what happens and it did get people involved in the conversation not it, it got maybe more people than we'd liked involved in the conversation that wasn't quite what we were hoping it was but I think for the I'm okay with the heat that it has attracted because of the light that it's attracted and I and, and as an experiment I tweeted for several months afterwards with the hashtag meh estimates or <laughs> Meh estimates as it should be pronounced and people just, you know what, it's, it's unfortunate but true that when you're trying to get a new group of people uh, involved in a conversation, often you have to start with a ridiculously extreme articulation of your view in order to get them involved. I don't like it. I hope to get away from it as quickly as possible. But, you know, extreme programming kind of did the same thing that No Estimates has done in terms of its marketing. (laughs) And you could argue whether it was right and whether it was good, but in many ways it was effective. And I think that's kind of what we've done here. And I'm glad to see people like Neil really going in depth in a way that I don't have the energy to do behind this No Estimates (laughs) hashtag. And people like Vasco and and others, uh, I'm quite happy to just sit on the sideline, you know, with a uh, uh, with a nice glass of wine and 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 watch the fireworks and try to step in every so often and remind people that we said no estimates to try to get people involved. And doesn't it kind of suck that we had to do
0: that? Certainly a fair point, and I I think it's great that you guys acknowledge that part of the hashtag name has led to some heat. You own that. That's great. As far as your comment, JB, about when to apply estimates, so under a three-month period, so should I assume that perhaps an area where estimates are appropriate could be at a portfolio level? Well, certainly you need some rough idea how much you, you're
3: going to spend. I'm, we're undergoing a house renovation here. We're kind of doing it in a little bit of a no estimates fashion in the sense that we're trying to keep an eye on what needs to be done and try to make sure that we get stuff done as quickly as possible. But when we first started talking with the general contractor who's helping us with the renovation, we did need to make sure that, the, that what we want to get done, or at least what we thought we wanted to get done, was going to cost closer to a few tens of thousands of dollars, as opposed to a few hundreds of thousands of dollars. We just needed to double check that before we get started. It's kind of like uh, you know, it, it, it's kind of like doing a blunder check when you play chess. It's not necessarily that you're uh, evaluating whether the move is perfect, but you at least want to make sure that the move doesn't hang a rook. And so that was the first thing we needed to do. So at the level of can I even afford this at all? Is my is what I have in mind realistic given my budget at all? That's the level at which some estimating is, I'm I'm assuming, inevitable. But when it comes down to, you know, now that we sort of have a rough idea that we can spend about $25,000 on this renovation, and now we better get the most we can for that $25,000 and we better also be prepared for it to cost a little more than that so let's find some money in the cushion somewhere whether the you know whether the drywall costs 1300 to put up or 1100 to put up is really not that interesting to me and that's kind of how i view the no estimates thing is i see teams get bogged down in arguments over whether drywall is going to cost 1100 or 1300 or 1500 and i just you know what? How about let's just get the drywall up as quickly as possible and do it well enough. And if there are surprises, then there are surprises. You know, welcome to software. Welcome to, welcome to construction. Welcome to home renovation. If you're not expecting surprises, then, you know, maybe you should go into a, a much more predictable field of work. So that's a very, very long, ridiculous answer. The short version <laughs> is I don't, I don't know how you could do product portfolio management without some kind of estimating. But that's estimating big things to within an order of magnitude, not estimating little things to within a factor of two.
2: I've been kind of coming at this from a different angle. Way back in uh, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, Bob Payne and I were working with uh, some teams at a client. We happened to notice that they were spending a lot of time estimating stories, and, and their perceived velocity was seesawing up and down. They were often either taking on too much work for a two-week sprint or or not enough and having to pull in stuff. And um, they were, you know, doing fairly well for a new team. But uh, we decided that, that let's do a little investigation, and we looked at the data we had. In my opinion, that estimating small pieces of work like stories, the purpose of that is to decide how much work fits into the sprint. It's really not for long-term, because that would force you to break everything long-term down into stories and estimate this big pile of them, and that's going to change. So that's a lot of wasted effort. So we looked at this, and we crunched some numbers. We actually we got some data from Fasco also and crunched his numbers, and it agreed with ours, that the predictive power of counting the stories was as good or, or a little better almost all all the times. We found one team in Basco's data where they did a little better with estimating than if you counted stories. But all the rest of it, the predictive power for how much fits into the sprint was better off counting stories, which is obviously a much quicker procedure. So we tried to get a session into Agile 2009, and it didn't get picked up. But we did try again a few years later and got a session in 2012 on this idea. And as we sat down to, once, once the session got accepted, well, then we had to actually design it. We just had an idea before then. So as we started working through the, the session, then I became more and more aware that, oh, well, we couldn't just throw estimates out. You know, there were a lot of times where there was a need for an estimate, but you didn't need to estimate down at that low level, that it wasn't wasn't necessarily helping. Where it did help was in ha- getting people to have conversations and there were other th- ways to force those conversations, uh, such as coming up with acceptance scenarios that I find works better with the teams that I've worked with. So we were doing that, but you know, I started looking at, well, what are the needs of estimations? And it varies tremendously. And I don't think you can say, well, in this situation or on this time scale, you need estimations and on this one, you don't. Uh, you really have to look at what are the needs or the expressed needs even for the people asking for estimates try to work back from those needs sometimes you need estimates not because they're super valuable but because some person who is trying to make a decision needs some reassurance that they're on the right track. Like Joe was talking about with cost of renovation. And having built a house, I know exactly what that feeling is. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's quite disconcerting when you talk to a builder and they can't give you an idea of how much what you describe is likely to cost. We rejected some builders because they couldn't tell us, you know, give us any clue. They'd say, oh, well, you can pay us to do a detailed design and then we can tell you. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what we wanted to do. We wanted to know: is this about a two hundred thousand dollar house or about a four hundred thousand dollar house? And I, I got the feeling that they were not experienced enough at the at the size and style house we were proposing to be able to know that. And so we went with a different builder.
0: So it sounds like that a lot of the the value and estimation, George, at least from what what you're talking through, is that shared understanding of the work and how that process can drive. You know, from stakeholder to developer, a true a true understanding of what we're trying to do is that a fair statement?
2: No, I think that's just one of many things. So I've okay. I've been trying to to catalog some of the uh, reasons for estimating. I've come up with with quite a few. You know, there's there stuff. What if you've got two projects that you could do, but you you're pretty sure you only have have the uh, cash to do one of them? You know, they they both seem about as valuable then you'd want to look at, well, which one's the, the cheaper to do? That's, that's, that's one thing. Typically, as, as I look, dig into this, typically well, you need estimates to help you make a decision. If you can formulate what that decision is and then think about how or it, even if estimates you know, will help make this decision, then what's the appropriate level of, of precision that I need for that estimate? And then you can make rational choices. We, you know, Too often we say, oh, we need an estimate. So we need to do it this way because this is the way we've always done it. And that may be too much precision. It may be too little precision.
3: And that's kind of the big if. I have to say that just like in the early days of XP, the I like to think that if Twitter were around in 2000, we'd be having exactly the same discussion around the hashtag no documentation. And... <laughs> <laughs> right uh, just like and in two, if, if Twitter had been around in 2005 we'd be having exactly the same conversation around no sprint somebody, somebody had the bright idea of saying hey let's not do documentation now they said it that way I think to snap us to attention force us to confront the idea that maybe we're wasting a lot of time writing a bunch of documentation that no one's going to read not that anyone's still doing that anymore, but was an epidemic problem fifteen, 20 years ago. And I think that's really what no, I mean the no and no estimates is really meant to be exactly that is is meant to to snap us to attention to ask us why are we estimating? And George's point of you know we, we kind of generally agree that that estimates, one of the purposes of estimates is to inform decisions. And that's why I say as loudly as I can and and often, If you can't articulate the decisions that these estimates inform, then you're probably safe in not producing these estimates for a while. Just like if you don't know who the audience of this document is, then probably you can get away with not producing the document and seeing what happens. To me, that's one crucial aspect of what makes no estimates. What makes that a good hashtag and what makes it a good banner for us to use is that it, it does make you think about those kinds of things and push the boundaries of how how much can we get away with estimates. That's what forced, That's one of the ways that we confront what do we really value estimates for. I. I I mean, the biggest problem I have with estimates, not estimating, but estimates, is that when you ask people why they do it, they don't have, they can't give you an answer that's not ultimately circular. They do it because they've been brainwashed to do it. And I know "brainwash" sounds like a drastic term, but I think it's apt. They're indoctrinated in the, into needing estimates. You know, I think of the old Flintstones cartoon when they bought the drive-in restaurant. You know, one of the suppliers said, "Well, you need to buy three tons of parsley. What are we going to do with three tons of parsley? You put it on the plate so the customer can throw it away." That's a lot of where we are with estimates. We do estimates because somebody in a textbook told us that we have to produce them, and and that's uh, that's the thing that I want to stop. That's what I, I just want to stop that mindlessness. I don't uh, and I'm happy to take the heat in exchange for stopping if I can just stop one person mindlessly estimating today, then I've done my job.
1: It's interesting. So I guess that's more the angle that I'm interested in nowadays. I think when I first got interested in in the no estimates hashtag, it was more around the the value of estimating itself, uh, like as as an activity. But now I guess my angle is is more around just the like you mentioned the sort of mindlessness of it and and actually how much the I guess I call it the estimation culture. Kind of drives our software projects, and actually dominates dominates what we're doing, and, and and becomes the most important thing to think about, rather than the the value of what we're building. It's more the like the schedule that is produced from these estimates that then drives the decisions around, uh, you know, and, and the deadlines around what we're delivering. And, and this is sort of something I've seen a lot in, in organisations I've worked in, that we, you sort of do these estimates at the beginning and, and you come out with a with a sort of schedule out of that. And then that, you know, that's then driving the, you know, delivery aspects of, of, of what we're doing and, and, dis- and the decision making. And, you know, and, and I strongly question that. I, I absolutely embrace the idea of estimating for the purposes of Trying to make a good decision, you know, financially, or, or, you know, if you if you actually do have a real deadline, you know, if you've got some regulatory requirement or um, some kind of client commitment that's been made, absolutely, you know, we, we, we need to we need to factor that into what we're doing. But but when we're just driving from a schedule or a plan with no real reason to do that, and and actually, you know, our, our driving outcome should be around sort of uh, the user experience, the customer outcome we're delivering. And yet we're kind of lambasting people for being late uh, on delivering something, even though the outcome is supposed to be more about the value we're delivering for the customer. You know, that's, that's where, where I, I see more of the, more of the issue and, I, you know, the sort of cultural impacts of, of that. I call it sort of the ethics of, of, of you know, the sort of estimation culture that, that is quite prevailing.
2: The thing is, is, I don't see that as a problem with estimate. First of all, there's a problem with the level of precision of those estimates often yeah. get way yeah. down, way too detailed and try to plan in too much detail. But that sort of estimation find extremely valuable to say, okay, here's our, you know, here's what we're planning right now. And that way, as we move along, we can get an idea of, of whether the assumptions we were making when we, when we developed this plan are holding true. Mm -hmm. The the problem comes in is that people make those plans look too slick and, and type them up nice and neatly and they generate pretty pictures. And people start believing in them. So when when reality and the plan diverge, then they think, oh, there's something wrong with reality. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and that doesn't work for me. What that no. tells me is when they diverge, okay, there's there's some assumption built into our plan that, that's not true, or probably yeah. lots of them, really. You know, why is our plan different? And this is something I find very valuable for estimation. It lets us create a hypothesis that then we can test. Yeah. And when that hypothesis turns out to be false, oh, we're not going to, you know, the work is not proceeding at this rate. Therefore, we're not likely to, to hit this target date given yeah. you know, our yeah. current trajectory. That lets us do something early rather than waiting until we get there and discover, oh, here we are a week before the end of a year-long project and we're going to slip the date six months.
1: Absolutely. So, That's right. So- I think people, teens shoot themselves in the foot a lot with this with, with, with the estimates they make, you know, at the beginning. And they and they do provide this kind of precise date or this precise amount of scope. Um, and then of course, you know, you're setting yourself up for, for failure from day one because you're setting expectations around these things. And then, you know, if a week later some catastrophe happens, then suddenly like your pr your plan has has gone gone downhill. You know, last week you were saying everything's green and everything's on track. Now suddenly you're saying, "Oh, actually, we're way off track." How could, the sort of senior stakeholders are saying, "Well, why? Is, how could that have happened in one week? How could how could things <laughs> have gone so south?" You know? It has <laughs> to happen
3: someday. I mean, it, you know, there, yeah. it, it happened on Thursday. It's not going to yeah. take two months for us. It's not like we're working in slow motion, right? On yeah. Thursday, something happened. That's how it yeah. happened in the week.
2: Or or there's something you've been ignoring for a long time and it's just the end of an illusion.
1: Yeah, sure. If you build that uncertainty in from the beginning, then you've got, you know, you've actually got some wiggle room. Like if something does go wrong, you can say, well, you know, that's still within the boundaries of, you know, where we thought because there's so much uncertainty at the beginning. And, you know, and it's particularly the case, you know, when you've got sort of unstable teams and a sort of highly volatile environment it's even more more the case and more more important that we sort of build that uncertainty in at the beginning. And you know, and I, and I see all the time. I see like burn up charts, like teams delivering burn up charts with with the, the the line just coming beautifully off you know off the end of their trend and, and right up to to where the delivery date is supposed to be. I'm kind of like, well, a why are they why are they putting a single line in, in in the first place? And b why is that line going off at a really optimistic angle rather than you know the the actual the actual trend of the burn up chart? So you know i i think i just think we're not building the the um, level the appropriate level of uncertainty into to our plans but i you know i agree with with george i mean in a healthy environment the act of, of estimating and using estimates for decisions is actually is, is actually you know it's a really healthy and Useful thing to do. The problem I find, though, is that I, I just don't see those healthy healthy cultures where that happens too often, um, and, and and that's really what I'm where I'm interested in, uh, in in this whole area. So it's not about saying estimates are bad. Absolutely not. It's it's more about how do we create that conversation so that the people asking for them can, can are made aware that if someone gives them back, uh, you know, a single date or a single scope point or a number of story points, they're actually coming back and saying. This isn't really an estimate, right? This is you're actually sort of committing something you can't commit to.
2: I've just created a burn up for a, uh, a large government program that I'm, I'm uh, coaching. And the data is really sketchy. It's really hard to tell. You know, there's constant change, changing the number of teams, the makeup of the teams. You know, the stuff in the future is is really unknown in size. Mm. So created this burn up that, that shows a lot of the, uh, the uncertainty. So it's, it's being done as a bunch of, of smaller projects, of course, and some of which are parallel, which makes it harder to, to do. And you you know trace this out and, and we came out to the end of 2020. And you know this is a very rough guess. It's a messy burn up. There's stuff that I don't really know how to show very well. And there are people who want to convert it into a PowerPoint so that it can be passed around the executives easily. And I keep saying, no, 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 don't do that. Then they'll believe it's true. <laughs> but we also took a piece of yarn and and put it out to the date that people keep talking about, which is in 2018 for this huge program. And the great thing about a, a burn-up is then you can show more than one projection. And you people can ask, well, why is the difference? What makes us think we're going to get up to that rate when right now we're doing this other rate, hmm. uh, which yeah. is still... Better than you know than the rate at the last couple of years. but there's a lot of complications. There's work started that then got got abandoned for business reasons, lots of lots of turmoil and in various things. So these things, this chart tells a story. And Mm. let you reason about the future Mm. and ask questions about the future. So a messy chart, a messy burn up chart can be really useful for that to try to show what you know and then tentatively show what you think.
3: Yeah. But I would imagine you could draw that exact same burn-up chart without ever having estimated any of those items, that you could instead say – because a burn-up chart is, I assume, you're using the term to mean by definition, visual representation of the rate at which we've completed
2: work. But but without estimating the items, we have no idea what that rate is.
3: But it, uh, but go back to what you said a moment ag- well not a moment ago but earlier or uh, uh, we've been talking about the the idea that the using the number of items completed as a, a measure of progress as opposed to what we thought the what we thought the cost was going to be before we did it gave roughly the same results so that same burnup chart with here are the te- here are the here's the number of items we completed and then trusting that the number of items or that the relative sizes of the items will somewhat converge over
2: time. Well, we would have to break the items itself? up much smaller then. Pardon? I, we would have to break the items up much smaller then.
3: Oh, if these are bigger, if these are, if these are bigger size items, then yes, I can understand. So, so,
2: so this whole thing is about 15 items. Oh, okay. So that's not enough resolution to do that. No, that so, makes- so then we need to... And some of these have already been split. There are some that say, okay, it's this part of this product line and then there's another item that's typically considered smaller but it's the deferred rest of this product line.
3: Okay, so this gets this gets more to the level of detail of the kinds of where I have no issue at all with with producing estimates although to me those estimates tend to look a lot more like budgets than estimates. A long time ago, I don't remember where I first read it, but I wrote about it not long after the idea of treat estimates as budgets. That really when we're talking about bigger pieces of work, something on the order of, say, a team needing a three months to a year. When we're talking at that level or bigger, usually what we have in mind isn't how much we think it's going to cost, but more how much we can afford to spend. That's certainly the way I think about it. For, you know, going back to the whole renovation thing, right? That's another example of it. It's not that I necessarily think that this is a twenty-five thousand dollars renovation. A renovation here for twenty-five thousand dollars or less, and I'm prepared to go to thirty-five if that's what it takes. And I really hope it doesn't end up being seventy. But I I know that I can be okay with twenty-five, and so I try to find a renovation program that's roughly going to fit into twenty-five thousand dollars.
2: So so that suits your needs in in your situation. This situation is a little different than that, in okay. that so, so first of all, this is a federal government agency, mm-hmm. so there's no there's no profit loss motive. Instead, right. they have a mission they need to, to meet, and that mission is the important thing. And this program is computerizing huge amounts of business processing that's currently done on paper. So you know, it's it's an enormous effort. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very hard thing to to simplify the the workflows and regularize them because they've grown into the workflows they are for reasons. Many of those reasons are lost in time and nobody could articulate but you can't just all of a sudden change those without having huge effects on the the globe. So it's a different sort of situation. So here we really are trying to estimate size in terms of effort to to implement and we were doing that with uh, relative estimate. Well Given what we know about you know, this future, Chuck, is that about the same size as something that we've done so far? And, and this, sounds
3: a lot, this, sorry, this sounds an awful lot like one of the other areas where, again, I think people mindlessly apply estimates. I'm not saying you are, but people generally mindlessly apply estimates. I'm not sure it helps. And that is when you're in a situation where we know we have to do this work, we've committed to do this work, and we simply have to get through it as quickly as we can. One of the one of the areas where I really insist that teams abandon any kind of estimates is in a situation where someone has made a commitment. They have to do this chunk of work. They They already have a deadline that they know they're not going to meet. Everybody in the room knows it. Even the person who committed knows that we're not going to get there. And we simply have to get through it as fast as we can and hope for the best. This is actually a perfect situation where... I'm not really sure what value the estimates add when the sink when the ship is sinking. I'm not sure it helps that much to know at exactly what time the ship will end up entirely underwater. I think at that point, you, you get as many people off the ship as you can.
2: What, what ship is sinking?
3: If it's a piece of work that, that someone has committed us to, where and someone somehow we ha- there's an expectation that we're going to be able to complete the work by, I don't know, two years or something, and everybody knows we can't possibly do all that stuff in two years. We might be able to do it in three. It might take five miracles could happen who knows that's the point at which I'm not sure it helps us that much to know exactly how bad the situation is
0: Oh, I um, think it rather does. rather to say let's get – So, yeah, awesome. J.B., let me, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. So let, let's say an executive makes that decision. I think, George, we're, we might be going down the same track here. Doesn't the estimate help bring to light the, the bad management practice?
3: We can get – so I would say yes, <laughs> but can
0: we not? Certainly there are better tools
3: than estimates to bring that to light.
2: Well, so wait a minute. So, so deadlines can be changed. Right. Deadlines don't get changed unless people feel like they need to change them. Right. If you don't have some way of, of projecting into the future and saying, you know, given, given the way things are going now, this is what's going to happen as best as we can tell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it leaves this, this deadline, this artificial deadline in the dust. This is exactly the sort of thing that helps an executive change that deadline. And say, oh, I didn't realize that. I, di- I didn't realize that this house renovation is, you know, in the hundreds of thousands of dollars rather than the tens of thousands of dollars. This is the thing that that they need in order to question the, you know, the assumptions they had made when they came up with that deadline, you know, and make a change. It also is a great, you know, way of saying, oh, well, you know, we may be able to find. Is there a different path we could take? Maybe. Maybe it's the way we're doing this. Maybe it's that's making this take so long. Maybe we can find a, a, an easier way to do it. And, but you're not going to have those conversations until you see, oh, you know, the, the, the current path we're taking is not making people happy.
3: So, right, but so, we, don't need to know for, we don't need to know that it's going to take 4.7 years as opposed to 5.2 years to make that
0: to, oh, to sure. So that's, that a level, that's a level of precision that, that I think right. we, we've all hammered. The level of precision in that instance is probably not important, but the ability to say, look, you've committed us to a two-year program, we know it's more than two, there is some estimation effort that has to go into that to be able to bring that information back to the executive, correct?
3: Uh, yes, we're getting, now we're getting back to exactly the same kind of argument that I right. do on Twitter that tells me that people are taking the no and no estimates way too literally.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm i not saying we shouldn't do it. I'm saying I, the, the level of precision is interesting. But I'm wondering if we can frame a situation, JB, that no estimates would make sense. And I think in my past experience, so I've worked in medical device where the federal government can tend to play a little heavily and, and can be a little heavy-handed. Sometimes they will come in with a regulatory requirement and a date that is not <laughs> flexible. This particular date and deadline is, is immutable. Mm-hmm. And so at that point... I think that's a situation where you break down the work as small as possible, work in small batches, get the the value out the door as fast as you can and not worry about the estimates because if this date hits and you miss you're getting fined. This,
3: so, exactly. This goes back to the the, the the bookmark that I wanted to put in the concept of late. I, I'd like us to get away from, from being late as a measure of how we did relative to our initial plan. And I'd rather us talk about late as a real business result. I mean, to me, the project is late if it's going to deliver something too late to meet our needs, too late to develop, to deliver enough profit, too late to meet the regulatory requirements, too late to keep us from shutting the doors for good. I don't care how that relates to our initial thought of how long it was going to take. And yet we still have the notion of late that still seems to dominate as particularly enterprise level software development uh, practice is this notion of comparing actuals to our guesses and I, I just I find this I find this tiresome in the least and but, negligence but, and malpractice at the worst that let, but, let's but get the, late let's think about that? late compared to actual
2: results but but what drives that that behavior and, and and it strikes me that in most cases what drives that is that there's this chain of people somebody has has you know is trying to make a decision and they've passed the word along down this this reporting chain and the people in the middle haven't checked to see what's the what's the decision to be made what's what's the point of this and so it's like the game of telephone yes broken telephone you know and it, and, and the message gets changed it's easy to make it precise. It's easy to say, oh, well, we need this precision and rigor. And if we convert everything to numbers, then we can tell. But they lose the meaning at the yeah. same time because, because the actual data doesn't have that precision. Back and, goes back that's to, that's right. what I'm really working at with this particular burn-up. Everybody I talk to wants to make it more precise. And I keep saying no. And this (laughs) is where I think this is where
3: the circularity of the reasoning comes in, is that, as you say, there might be somebody somewhere near the top of the organization chart, somewhere near the beginning of this of this chain of events that genuinely has a decision that they need data to help them make. But somewhere along the line, somebody, a well-meaning person, perhaps, has it in their mind because of some thing they read in a book, or because of some some professor told them...
2: Or the way they did it somewhere else. Or the
3: way they did it somewhere else, or 20 <laughs> years ago, whatever, that says, estimates are the way to get this. And from that point forward, it then becomes estimates for their own sake, rather than the desire to gather information in order to influence a decision. Um, I, that's
2: why I keep trying to take it back to the needs. So, right. so Bob Marshall's uh, uh, antimatter principle, I think, is, is a fabulous thing to think about here, to... And, and he, he, this is, we should attend to people's needs. And being aware of all the varying needs of all the varying people is really tough, but that's where we find clarity. And attending to needs doesn't necessarily mean we can meet those needs. Right. But we need to attend to them. So this guy in the middle, he has a need for coming up with something some answer he can pass up that seems safe for his position in the organization. Right. So, well, and, that, and that's this can lead us astray in in the overall goal of the person who asked for for some information.
1: I would th- like to, there was um, something interesting I thought you mentioned earlier, George, where you, where you mentioned that you know the, the estimation helps you see if the you know the the sort of delivery is off off track, and then you can start making decisions about well, how do we you know perhaps there's a way that we can make this simpler and deliver it more more quickly and and i guess it's an interesting point because i would like why wouldn't we be doing that all the time anyway like why would we not be actually always looking for the the you know the simplest chunks of of, of um and slices of value like all the way through as we iterate and and I, and i kind of you know it it actually sort of um reminds me of some situations i've been in where you know we've kind of estimated a project up front and and let's say it's 6 months and then we've kind of gone away and, and, and everyone then – it's almost like people are like, oh, we've got six months now, so we don't really need to worry too much about what we, you know, what we do in the first few weeks. And, you know, it's all going to we, – we're going to deliver it all anyway. It will all pan out. And, 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 and you know, and I, was, I, I was kind of like, well, shouldn't we be trying to find that first kind of – that first slice of value and, and then sort of iterate over that rather than just kind of let it all pan out? And then one day we go, oh, you know what, we're, we're running late. You know, we're going to be later than that six-month estimate we said. Now let's try and manage our scope and figure out a way. We should be doing that all all the way along anyway. Like, As sure. we
3: know, the best thing that we could possibly do when we actually – in that rare instance when we have some slack, of course, the first thing we should do is squander it. Yep. So,
2: so yeah, in, in in this large program that I'm working with, and those those small slices tend to be six months to two years in size yep. – but but still, I think that at some point, we've got to, you know, instead of trying to figure out, you know, the best way, we've got to make progress. Mm. And, and certainly there's been a lot of that. When I look at, at the code, I suspect that there are other design principles that could have been brought in that could have made this whole system a lot simpler. You know, I can't say that, you know, there's a lot of people... Who have worked on this very hard, and so for me to come in as a latecomer and say, "Oh, you did this wrong," you know, that's not going to fly. No, no,
3: no,
1: and no, and,
2: sure, and it may not be wrong because <clears throat> this is has to support a huge number of people. Yeah. You know, perhaps you know the things that I think about would not do that. Thousands of man hours that have gone into the design as it is.
1: Absolutely. So, 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 I, I guess I'm not talking about your specific example, but. I, I, I guess I see a lot of, um, for me, like there's sort of two, I guess two distinct ways that agile can be used, you know, quite effectively to sort of deliver deliver on outcomes. One is that sort of that we we take a kind of normal project and sort of kick it off in the way that we normally would, and we and we sort of estimate the scope and we estimate the size of it, and then we start using agile as uh, and the empirical framework within agile to sort of manage our risk and and sort of make sure that we're on track and and sort of manage our scope along the way. And and, and I kind of, uh, but for me, that's not really harnessing the full, and, I'm, and George, I'm not talking about your situation here. I'm, I'm talking, you know, broadly about other other sort oh, of kind of situations. Oh, I understand
2: what you mean, yeah.
1: Yeah, sure. So, so, and, and then there's the, for me, what the, the sort of heart of the agile approach, which is actually, let's not just try and estimate the, the uh, put you know, uh, figure out the whole thing, estimate it, and then track our way towards it let's actually try and solve the problem as quickly as possible and deliver value as quickly as possible. And then, and then iterate over that uh, um, over what we've done and actually be prepared to throw away what we've done and constantly be, uh, be sort of solving the problem more and more that's going to meet the needs of, 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 you know, of what we're delivering for the customer. And, and, and you know, and and I feel, I feel like we, we, uh, you know, we tend to, as an industry, we're still doing traditional projects, and manage, managing them with with an agile approach, which 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 is an improvement, but it's still a little bit mediocre for me. It's still not harnessing the true spirit of agile, which is we have a, a constraint like a budgetary constraint or a time constraint. Let's deliver the best possible product in that time frame. Right. Um, and you know, and if and if that time frame happens to be a, quite a quite a substantial time frame, let's break that down into very small. Timeframes and keep on delivering an outcome within those, and 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 that's and that's going to sort of harness a a, a a really powerful approach of, of letting you know emergence and, and 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 ending up with something that's surprising and that's way better than you ever ever could have dreamed of. I feel like sometimes we lose sight of that in the industry, and we just use agile to sort of manage projects a bit better.
0: So Neil, can I ask you a question around that? Yeah, uh, is there a barrier to entry for that kind of hyper productivity though? I mean, do you find that, that there are things that you have to put in place in order to get to that level of agility?
2: Uh, well, you have, well, you have well, to well, think it's possible I, first. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right. Look, I wouldn't call it a
1: barrier to entry because because I, I think it's more of a mindset. Really, it's it's exactly. You know, of course, there are always going to be constraints. You know, like technical constraints and and you know cultural constraints. You know, if if you've got a group of, of, of people who 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 are trying to you know who have a focus on on customer value and on you know trying to save the company as much money as possible, deliver deliver quickly to the customer and also as cheaply as possible, but with the right outcome. You bring those people together and and, and you start working with, with those constraints and bringing out the creativity of the the, the great people that you've hired and, and coaching them along the way if they're not quite there yet. You know, for me, it's like rather than sort of just accepting the situation I'm in, I'll, I'll try and, I, I guess, kind of influence it towards a, a way of saying, well, you know, we might have two years to deliver this thing, but you know what well, let's try and solve the problem in one month you know let's start thinking creatively about what would we do if we only had a month to do this project and sometimes you come up with things like crazy ideas that you never you never would have dreamed of if you just left it as a as a two year exercise that you kind of increment through
2: so i yeah. think the i think the barrier of entry is often on the on the customer side sure p- sure particularly yeah. when you you've got internal customers in the organization because they say, oh, well, we can't use this until we have this whole thing. Yeah. And, and and when you've got thousands of those customers, that's a really hard thing to get through. That's a lot of coaching. Yeah, but, yeah absolutely. absolutely.
3: I think so if, there, if there is a barrier to entry, I think it, it, it's, again, it's preconceptions and limiting beliefs in the minds of a lot of people involved. Uh, customers yeah. are just one group. Project managers are another group. Mm-hmm. Programmers are another group. It's Again, it's to me it seems like it's 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 based in a kind of indoctrination it's it's either this is what we did that seemed to work before without really understanding whether what we did worked or happened to or we happened to do it and succeed anyway or stuff that was written down in a textbook because it made sense in 1987 and doesn't make as much sense now or made sense in the context that the author happened to find uh, herself in but doesn't make sense in all contexts um, or even just in, you know, people's garden variety fear about what they're trying to do, uh, as George pointed out, what's uh, or articulated, what's safe for me in this situation, as opposed to what will work or what would be effective. When those things are at odds, then we're in real trouble, and that's, I think, part estimates give estimate estimates at their worst. And I think on average present another example of illusion of control. Uh, I, that's the you know, for me, that's where that's why I love the no and no estimates is I actually kind of want to shatter that illusion of control. What I'd rather do is create a space where people are willing to volunteer to have their the illusion of control lovingly shattered. But I haven't figured out how to do that. And so hashtag no seems to be the best I can do for that. The best approximation I have for that problem right now.
0: And so I, I wonder if, if the manifesto actually took care of that forest though, JB. And, and what I mean by that is if, our, if the true measure of progress is working software then why are we worried about an estimate? Why are we measuring off of that?
3: I'm, uh, I'm with you, man. What, you know, yeah. like I said, I, 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 it seems like in every situation where somebody tells me why they need estimates, I can think of a better tool. And, and I was
1: going to say, yeah, I was just going to say that, Ryan. So, you know, to, uh, to, to, to your question about barriers to entry, I guess the barrier to entry for working in an agile manner is that you're delivering done working software on a regular free, uh, on a regular basis. Because if you're not... If it, if the if the software is not actually done, then you can't really use these burn up charts and measure your progress because at some point you're you're going to get you're going to get hit with uh, hit with bugs and 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 tech debt and you know you're, it's so you can't use this use this mechanism. So you know if it, 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 you could argue that's a barrier to entry, but you know like I say, I, I prefer to. I prefer to look at it as an opportunity to sort of figure stuff out with teams and, and how we can get better at doing that rather than, hey, we can't, we can't actually work that way.
3: I tend to think of, of estimating, particularly estimating small units of work at the kind of precision that, you know, we, we had, that, that we've been talking about as a bad idea. I like Ron Jeffrey's way of articulating uh, things as advanced practice. I, I'm kind of at the point now. Where, now he says that rather tongue in cheek. That's his way of saying don't do it without sounding prescriptive. But those kind, that kind of estimating, uh, and not actually not estimating, those kinds of estimates, producing those kinds of estimates, sounds to me like an advanced practice. It's the kind of thing that we do after we're really good at other stuff, and then we can use that information to optimize our process. That's when we hit, for want of a better term, CMM level five. I I I, I just don't see that stuff as being as we if if we're very good at delivering close to our guesses. We deserve a vacation. And if we're very bad at it, knowing, then knowing knowing how bad we are at it probably doesn't help as much as we think. Not as much as simply figuring out what is making us bad at it and trying to come up with ways to figure out how to get better at those things. Um, you know uh, that, that to me is really kind of the, the the key to all this. For every problem people think estimates solve, I can think of a better tool. I can think of a tool that can that can get better results that can attend to their needs better. And having that having that argument in the in the clinical friendly sense of argument, but having that debate, let's say, is where all the value from no estimates comes from. It's the it's the creating a place where where people once they get past their initial revulsion, Uh, Once people get past the idea that me uh, typing hashtag no estimates means I don't care about my client's money or uh, I'm incompetent at some important aspect of software development, once we get past all that, then it's okay. Well, okay, tough guy. You think that you have better tools for managing risk than estimates? Tell me what they are and let's discuss them. I want to get there. I invite everyone listening to this the next time that they uh, see someone tweeting with a no estimates hashtag to really think of it in those terms that... When I do that, I'm inviting you to, to, to ask the question, is there a better way that I can give you what you're looking for that you think estimates is going to give you?
0: And I think the discussion as it, as it shifted into meeting needs, and particularly when, when Neil was discussing trying to get the work done faster in a simpler way, I think it actually does highlight a respect for the stakeholders' money that perhaps has not been... Highlighted or or articulated in in some of the past discussions that I've seen, so I think that's an important point, Neil. I'd want to ask, as you bring this mindset to clients, what kind of traction are you finding with stakeholders, with people who have value at risk who are funding these projects? You know, what kind of traction is there for this kind of thinking, for this kind of focus on perhaps more outcomes over estimates, and and what are your experiences bringing stakeholders and people paying the bill on board with this? with this way of looking at estimation
1: (laughs) um look it's it's uh it's very it's very tough but to be to be quite honest with you i don't really i think people have a have a perception of me that i kind of i kind of you know walk in on on the monday morning and, and 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 sort of you know walk into people's offices and say right how are we gonna how are we gonna move forward without estimating and you know Going around telling all the teams to stop <laughs> estimating, like it's, it's actually like all, you know, I guess all the all the way along, I, I've been quite explicit in saying that you know I, I would I would never recommend to a team to stop estimating, just just to blindly stop estimating because it, it you know it, it's actually disrespectful to the to the context that the teams in, and there could be very very good reasons why they're estimating, as as draws pointed out. So what, what I try and focus on is just how is just becoming more effective at software development and, and product development. And so, I, what I try and do is focus in on um, focus on customer value, a focus on getting results quicker and cheaper for for the for the business, a uh, focus on reducing variation by working in, in, in small uh, constraints or small iterations, creating more stability by having by um, you know persuading people that having stable teams is going to work better for them. It's going it's going to create a more predictable environment. Uh, teams staying together and 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 work being fed to teams rather than rather than teams being formed around work. If straight away you're starting again from scratch, um, in a situation where you can't possibly use velocity to predict anything, you know you're you're, you're looking at at least over sort of a couple of couple of months before you're going to get any kind of any kind of stable stability there. So it's really about working around the fringes and trying to create a more stable environment that that can actually um, let creativity and agility thrive so getting that predictability from from that stability rather than from people making predictions and i think that's where where you know and and i can completely understand why why execs ask for these these estimates because they're you know they're they're they're, you know they're trying to get get this um you know this certainty of when things are going to happen and people keep giving them these these precise dates and keep getting them wrong so it's like well you know what's going on here why why you know why why does everyone suck at estimation so bad? Like, why can't we be better at this? And, and and, it, and you know, and, and as JB pointed out, again, it's that c- kind of control thing where, you know, executives tend to like like semblance of control over, over what's happening. So I completely understand why they want the information. What what I try and help teams with is to get better at all that stuff I mentioned, but also in an in environment where they have to provide estimates to make sure that they're building uncertainty in at the appropriate level to their estimations. So if they're doing an upfront estimate and they're coming together as a new team, then there's a whole whole bunch of uncertainty, and we need to factor that in. If they're uh, quite a stable team and they've got a quite quite a stable uh, velocity, then they can be a little bit more, you know, um, narrow with their banding of, of uncertainty. But, but still, let's start using language like, um, you know, we, we are we are fairly confident that this this will happen between these dates, rather than we will deliver this on this date. And, and, and so I try and, you know, and, and, and actually that is very beneficial for the stakeholders because they actually start getting that predictability through the accuracy rather than the precision because now they can actually start to get um, fewer surprises, which is actually what, what they're looking for.
2: I'd like to highlight one aspect of what you're saying, Neil, and it's, it's a little bit of a tangent from the, the estimation topic. A lot of the, um, you know, a lot of this predictability and repeatability comes from mm. focusing on, on the details of how well we're doing the little things. Mm. So, so it's like so many of the things that we really value, that we really want, we cannot approach them directly. We can't mm. say, oh, we want this big program to be done sooner and approach that directly. We have no, sure. no way of really doing that. But mm. if we approach it obliquely, by saying we'll have less waste if we do this in smaller pieces and we can see it growing, and we can we separate you know some of the the important things from some of the baggage that tends to come along with it, you know when we do bigger chunks, if we focus on oh if we let's see how much duplication we can eliminate on the code, oh isn't yeah. that interesting now our you know we're developing code faster because we've re- removed a lot of duplication, and we've gotten yeah. good at removing duplication as we uh, go. So. These yeah. oblique approaches pay such a huge dividend. Sometimes we focus too much on the one big thing and we ignore mm-hmm. too many of these. I, that was in what you were saying, but I I, I wanted to emphasize it.
1: Yeah, sure. And look, now, nowadays I'm, I'm, I'm actually operating in the management space. So I, so I see it as definitely my job is to work on the environment and sort of creating an environment where teams can, can thrive and and create great software. So, you know, I'm always looking for these kind of Opportunities to to sort of um, you know bridge that gap between you know the stakeholders' needs and what the and, and the teams needs, and to try and figure out a way of getting to a better place with that, and and, and that's what I focus on
0: by taking these excellent software engineering practices. And JB has an excellent lightning talk, seven minutes and 26 seconds on test-driven development and how it makes consistency and Scrum work, which I'll put a link in the show notes because I think it's excellent and certainly applies here. But I'm wondering if we get good at creating environments like Neil is saying. So we have teams that aren't broken apart every six months. We have a, a consistent team we work in small batches we do test driven development we have an engaged stakeholder who is con- you know weekly demos and constantly working with the team we have all these great practices we deliver software valuable software frequently does this build enough trust to where the pressure's taking off of estimates and and what i'm getting at is if we engineer the environment and the practices correctly do the estimates just fall to the background if if i may i'd like
3: to i'd like to say the opposite when a frustrated
0: executive or senior manager
3: asks why aren't we better at hitting our plans we often cite the exact opposites of all those things right we cite we're too far away from the customer. Uh, you keep shuffling us around uh, too often. Our, our technical environments are too unstable. We're having to work with this legacy code. Nobody knows how it works. And every time we touch it, we get five nasty surprises. We, we, we cite all these as reasons why we can't accurately guess how long it'll take to do things. And yet the answer that I get more often than not is well you have to live with those things because we don't know how to solve those problems and I respect that I'm, I, I agree I don't if I knew how to solve those problems they'd be solved right I would have figured out a way to get the right people to listen to me I don't know how to solve those problems either I but when we cite those as reasons why our estimates uh, why we don't hit our estimates and yet, We still feel that extreme pressure. Well, why can't you people be better at estimates? Well, I told you why we can't be better at estimates. These are all the reasons we can't be better at estimates. We all agree that we don't know how to solve those problems yet, and so that's why we're not going to be better at estimates. This is the kind of pointless cycle that makes me want to say, everyone stop. We've told you why this isn't working. We agree that we don't know how to solve those problems. I I wish I had a a magic formula that would make us be good at (laughs) estimates in spite of those things, but I don't. I don't. You don't. George doesn't. Neil doesn't. So, can we all yeah. just agree that we don't know? And yeah. you've got two options: you can either bang your head against the wall, or you can try something else. I, I that for me, that's what the no ha- the no estimates hashtag. Mm-hmm. Again, one key aspect of it is those of us who like it are the ones who say, "Let's try doing something else instead of banging our head against the wall."
1: Yeah, and I think I think that feeling that we we have to hit estimates is is the problem. Right. I, I, because it, that's
3: that's just inattention to results man that's all it yeah, that is.
1: Exactly. So basically the, the, the truth of the matter is in in you know in I you know it happens an awful lot certainly in my experience but basically as soon as you publish that that estimate or that plan it, you've now committed to that you've you've now made a commitment to the business that you're going to deliver within within that estimation and and again to george's point that is not the fault of estimates at, at all but you know it's there is something seriously wrong that, right. that, this, that this is happening. Yeah, take,
3: taking but, estimates out of the equation doesn't necessarily indict or convict estimates as the culprit, but it does indicate that estimates are an essential part of the problem. It's our interaction with those estimates as the essential part of the problem. If we could just take that away and replace it with something that gives us some of the similar benefits without those particular drawbacks, why wouldn't we just do that?
2: Yeah. i don't think I don't think that does that so so I don't think the problem is our interaction with the estimates. I think it's our interaction between people
3: oh, that's what I mean and, and, I, I, and
2: the I, estimates are a complete red herring there
3: yeah
2: and that distrust well,
3: there, yeah there are some you're right there's a symptom, not a cause. I'm with
2: you right, on that 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 distrust between people who are not communicating well enough is going to exist anyway and 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 tossing yeah. out estimates or doing them better is not going to fix that
3: well, I think tossing what, out estimates has a chance to Help the situation along in that it reduces some of the friction, but I agree that getting better at the estimates is probably not going to build the trust
0: i don't think you i, I guess the I guess the question I originally was trying to pose and I, and I think I did it poorly was if we're delivering valuable software regularly, right so we're getting a, an increment of software every two weeks it's of high quality it's valuable the 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 stakeholder is delighted they're using it. Does that take the pressure? off of the estimates. And what I mean by that is, does that remove the bad management practices that can sometimes cloud or or cause estimates to be damaging?
3: Well, I I, I would say... maybe not. I mean there's a, there's a saying in sports that, you know, when when you're winning then then all of a sudden all the little things that annoy people don't annoy people anymore. So, in a way if we are actually hitting the results that we expect, I think kind of strangely enough the opposite happens. Yes, it takes the pressure off the estimates in that the estimates don't surface the same kinds of problems that they did before. They don't represent the underlying problem, they don't push them in our face anymore. But also, then we kind of have some slack and we don't actually mind doing them. I would love to reach a point where our business, res- where we're hitting the results that we want so well that we can start then seeing the value in using low level estimates as a way to optimize our delivery machine, that to me is when they really start to become valuable. We can get along without them, but then they become a useful optimizing tool. Most of the the cases where I see especially low-level estimates being overused, they're nowhere near that situation.
1: But yeah, I've been in in situations where, you know, um, at the the beginning, at the beginning when we start working with with the client, they want to know sort of how much they think we're going to do in each each sprint. As we we sort of build that trust for them by delivering – Delivering something to them early and then delivering it often, the conversations then sort of just are, are all around, you know, the software that we've built and how we're how we going to take it forward rather than, right. you know, estimating how much we're going to do next. So and, and so, so you I've, know, seen- I've seen that the, the, the need dissipates as you build that trust and relationship with the customer and collaborate with them
3: i very sorry, George. Real quick, tenor of the conversation starts to change from "When am I going to get that?" to "How can I get that sooner?" Right. That to me makes a huge difference. That's where that's, and we haven't actually explicitly talked about the difference between estimating and estimate. And I, I worry that some people in the audience are going to confuse those two things. I don't mind estimating because it creates it leads to discussions we need to have for other purposes. And I don't even necessarily mind that those estimate that those estimating sessions result in numbers. I think that we can throw those numbers away once we've done the estimating. That the estimating leads us to have the discussions like what do we really need to build? How can we build it sooner? How can we improve the way we're doing things? You know, what is the most urgent thing that we need to do next? What is the thing that we that is not urgent yet, but we need to think about before it becomes urgent? All those kinds of discussions, estimating, the act of estimating often moves us in the direction of having those conversations. I think over time, if we drop the estimates first, if we just ignore the numbers that came out at the end, then slowly but surely we're realizing that what we're doing is not estimating anymore, but it's managing risk. And it just so happens that the activities between what we thought of as estimating and what we now think of as exploring and managing risk happens to overlap. And once we take away Producing two, three, five, seven, one, four, six at the end of those tasks, at the end of that activity. Sorry, um, then we just we just stop thinking of it as estimating, and it and it becomes exploring the product. It becomes managing and identifying risks, and all those things that we think estimating does for us that the estimates themselves don't really help us with.
2: So, so I think that's a very de- development centric view, and I think that the the business needs for estimating. Don't change. I th- but I do think that um, if the development team is, is reliably generating demonstrable increments of progress, the business can do the, the, the rest of the estimation by themselves. Right. They, the, you've simplified the problem enough yeah. that they can Absolutely. project easily into the future and as, answer the questions that they need to answer and, and play with the what ifs that they need to play with. And they and, can do
3: it in units and, of measurement that matter to them
2: not That's in true.
3: you know not in not in weeks of effort but in currency units and payback period and return on investment and cash on cash that kind but of stuff but there's
2: but there's always there's always stuff you know this is it, it's not so cut and dried and simple and I've never found where where the need goes away i've I've worked with a lot of clients and and so therefore i go back to to it's not a question of whether we, we should th- throw out estimates or whether we should get better at them. It's really a question of digging down and understanding what the needs are, yes. exploring right. those needs. And and that's a hard thing to do. It's, it, it, it takes you very much into the people realm and away from the technical realm. And that's scary for most people who have chosen software development as their field. But that's really where that's really where the progress is. That's really where the need is, where we need to understand what those needs are. Some of them are just, you know, human need for reassurance. Some of them are are business needs. They get all mixed up together. The, the, The people whose needs we're trying to understand probably can't articulate them either. And so it's an exploratory process on that end that is at least as hard as exploring what product sells to a customer
0: and i think with that george i think you've left us in a great spot i know that uh neil you're probably anxiously waiting to to hit the hit no, the sack no, for the night no, no, we,
1: no, i've enjoyed it immensely so i was happy to well, go into the night
0: I, we certainly appreciate just slogging into the night and helping us out with this uh what i think turned out to be an excellent conversation around no estimates i think people will want to get a hold of you and discuss this more, and I'm sure we'll all see each other on the No Estimates hashtag soon. But let's start with JB. JB, how can people get a hold of you?
3: Absolutely. So uh, first, uh, if you'd like to read more of uh, my brain droppings, then you've got uh, jbrains.ca. That's jbrains.ca. Those are my initials. I didn't. I didn't make it up. If you if you prefer to consume them in smaller forms, then at jbrains on Twitter. If you want to. Tell me I'm completely out to lunch, or if you want to ask me a question, then you can go to uh, ask.jbrains.ca and uh, let me know what you're thinking. Um, I'm not, I don't hang out on the no estimates hashtag much anymore. So you'll occasionally see me on meh estimates, or actually my current favorite now is Clark Ching's uh, hashtag, Lestimating, which I actually kind of, I'm jealous of him for thinking of that before I did. All right, George.
2: Okay. Uh, on Twitter, you can find me at, at- G. Dinwiddie, it's G-D-I-N-W-I-D-D-I-E. Uh, my uh, company site, which doesn't get a whole lot of attention, is idiacomputing.com. You can find a whole lot of, about what I've written on uh, the subject of estimation at blog.gdinwiddie.com. And then click on the uh, the cloud tag uh, estimation, and you'll find lots of lots of words there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that is that is true. And and George, a lot of great uh, content out there that I was going through the last couple of days to get ready for this. So definitely recommend both George and JB's blog, and along with uh, with Neil's here, who's I'm sure he's going to give us the address here in just a second.
1: Yes, yeah, so, I uh, my blogs at ne- uh, neilkilling Um, I don't really have much to plug. I'm not a consultant nowadays, so I. I an honest living with with a company. Um, so, but um, yeah, absolutely come to my blog. I write about agile um, topics in general and, and there's a no estimates category on there. I'm pretty active on Twitter, uh, Neil underscore Killick. They're probably the best ways of getting a hold of me.
0: All right. And if you like what you're hearing, have topics you'd like for us to cover or have a suggestion to improve the show, please hit me up on Twitter at Ryan Ripley or email Ryan at RyanRipley.com iTunes Reviews helps keep the podcast going and helps grow the audience. Five is our favorite number, and that many stars helps spread the word. So please leave your comments and and reviews on iTunes. And thank you for listening to Agile for Humans and for valuing the individuals and interactions that make Agile work. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training